Hi, my name is Molly Schulte Tucker, and I have the privilege of pastoring the good people of Ridgewood Baptist Church in Mobile, Kentucky. During our 2023 Lenten season, from February 22nd through April 9th, when we celebrate Easter, we are walking through a series called Good Enough, taking themes and blessings in worship from Kate Bowler's book of the same name. In this Lenten season, we resonate with Dr. Bowler's words when she says, ultimately, we can rest in the encouragement to strive for what is possible today while recognizing that though we are finite, the life in front of us can be beautiful. I'm wondering if anyone in here, actually I know some of you are, are, is anyone a fan of the Hallmark Channel Christmas movies. Some hands shot straight up, some were a little bit more ashamed. <laughs> Hallmark, yeah. Now typically I would say, <laughs> typically I would say Hallmark movies, you know, you start watching them maybe around Thanksgiving into December, but y'all became crazy. And now they start coming in, what, October, September? Can I turn off the afternoon and find a Hallmark Christmas movie? There's an app for that, right? (laughs) You know, the irony in what we who don't watch the Hallmark movies make fun of you who do for is that every single movie ends the exact same way. And I could even say maybe they start the same way too. And I think step two and scene two and maybe scene three and scene four, I think we can pretty much trace Hallmark movies from start to finish and cover 99.9% of them to a T. Amen. The Holderness family, who does some some fun videos on social media, they made a a parody, a spoof, of a video where the woman walks through her hometown and she sees her crush from high school, who I guess back then was ugly, but now he's a lumberjack, right? He's fit, trim, bearded, and flanneled, cutting down trees, but of course, he's right? So she is this big wig executive. She can't fall in love with him. But what happens? They do. And I love the parody because the Holderness family, uh, there's this conversation between her and one of her high school friends where her high school friend says, well, you know, he actually is rich. He invented the internet. (laughs) And then everything is okay. They come back to each other and she puts on gloves, grabs an axe and starts chopping to moving away from her New York City life because he had been in the internet. That's pretty much the Hallmark movie, right? 
I was disappointed a few weeks ago. My husband was out of town, so I got to choose what I wanted to watch on Netflix. And I chose that new Reese Witherspoon, Ashton Kutcher movie, Your Place or Mine. Has anyone seen it? Don't watch it. I wasn't even for the first minute. And you know how this is going to end. I mean, I love a good rom-com, feel-good movie. But that one was torturous. You could tell from minute one how it was going to end. We're used to this pattern of rom-coms, of our hallmark love story movies, right? We know how it's going to end. We know when the credits roll at the beginning, we know how the scenes will continue. Now, I would say, maybe except for Hallmark, sometimes Hallmark is okay. Even though the scenes can be predictable, it doesn't make them boring, right? Sometimes. Today, we heard the story of the woman at the well. And Chris kept, kept emphasizing Samaria. She was a, a Samaritan. I'm not going to talk about that today, but it seems like Chris has a sermon up his sleeve about that as well. But today we come to a well, and it's not the first time in Scripture that an important scene has happened around a well. Actually, Robert Alter, the scholar Robert, Robert Alter, calls this scene a biblical type scene, type scene, in his book, The Art of Biblical Narrative. There's repetition in this setting. We can go all the way back to Genesis. If we go back to Genesis chapter 24, Isaac's servant meets Rebekah at the well. Isaac's servant um, is looking for um, a spouse, a wife for Isaac, and says, if you, uh, and, and Isaac tells him, if a woman offers to give you a drink from the well, and then remember what else she has to offer anyone? This is your Bible trivia for the day. If they offer also a drink for your camels, right? We're animal lovers early on. That's how you know this is going to be Isaac's wife. So uh, Rebecca comes in, and that's what she does. She offers Isaac's servant a drink and also the camels. And then, so that's Genesis 24. You can go just a few chapters forward, a few generations forward. Genesis 29, Jacob meets Rachel at the well. And remember, Jacob is so in love with Rachel that he works for his father-in-law for how many years? Seven years before he can marry Rachel. And then his father-in-law tricks him into sleeping with Rachel's sister, Leah. Whoa. I mean, it's not Hallmark anymore. We're like in soap opera land here, right? We're, We're at a well again. So... When people start reading John's account of the woman at the well, they are familiar with this type of story. In the Torah, in Genesis, they have seen this happen. They have seen scenes at the well. They are well-known stories in this time. Readers are expectant because they are familiar and they know that something is going to come about marriage. They expect that something will come about marriage because there's a man and a woman at a well. 
put as we read it, generations removed from knowing those stories of the early faith, as we read it generations later, as we read it, all being entrenched in some way, shape, or form in purity culture, we always go to the woman. We always blame the woman. We talk about that woman, her five husbands, now not even living with the man who is her husband. We've lost the storyline. If this is a type scene, we've now created a scene where we want to put our own flavor on it instead of reading it in its context for what it was in the time of Jesus and as the evangelist John. We lost the type scene. We missed the Hallmark movie opportunity here. We want to talk about how the woman is impure and Jesus changes her. Did Jesus change her? We want to talk about how this woman is impure and Jesus saves her. Did Jesus save her from the scandal the world tells her she is in? No. No, he doesn't. In fact, Jesus didn't assign a positive or a negative value to this woman's life. We did. We did to her marital status, her fifth husband living with a man that isn't her husband. We assigned a negative value to that. Jesus doesn't say anything about that. We did. We do. Why must we talk about women? Why must we always talk about the value of women based on their bodies? Why must we talk about women's hair, their clothing, their marital status, their weight, their education, their makeup, their decisions, their attitude, their voice, her emails? The appearance, their pantsuits, their nail colors, their capabilities, their mistakes, their qualifications, their lifestyle, their sex life. Why must we always talk about women? Because here's the thing. She already feels insecure enough. It's noon in the desert at a well. Do you think a woman who felt secure about where she was in life would go during the hottest part of the day? She is already avoiding the value judgments that the rest of society puts on her. The shame, the ineptitude, the disapproval, the negativity, the embarrassment. She is just trying to survive. So her boundary is that she is going to go to the well in the middle of the day, at the hottest part of the day, alone with water jugs so no one can see her. You know who does 
see her more than value judgments? Maybe she had been widowed. Maybe she was infertile. Maybe she had medical needs that her other husbands could not pay for. We don't know. But to the world, she will never be good enough. So Jesus meets her. In this type scene. Not ironically. But the readers are listening for that marriage piece. Because they know from the Torah, if two are meeting at the well, there has to be some kind of marital arrangement. And what Jesus offers her is not a spouse It's not a way out of a marriage. What Jesus offers in this moment is telling her that the earth and the heavens are cosmically changing. Marrying together so a spirit may infiltrate here on earth that we share with the God in heaven. This marriage is not between two people. It is between two worlds, two spheres of living. The heavens and the earth will forever be bound together by a spirit. A spirit of love and hope and peace and justice. And the feelings that she feels of emptiness and loneliness are filled not with short little highs, but with holy living water. There's a poet by the name of Jan Richardson who wrote uh, what I'm about to read you. It's from her book, Circle of Grace called The Blessing of the Well. I hope this speaks to you in the same way it spoke to me this week. If you stand at the edge of this blessing and call down into it, you will hear your words return to you. If you lean in and listen close, you will hear this blessing give you, give the story of your life back to you. Quiet your voice, quiet your judgment, Quiet the way you always tell your story to yourself. Quiet all these, and you will hear the whole of it and the hollows of it. The spaces and the telling, the gaps where you hesitate to go. Sit at the rim of this blessing, press your ear to its lips, its sides, its curves that were carved out long ago by those who thirst drove them deep, those who dug into layers with only their hands and hope. Rest yourself beside this blessing, and you will begin to hear the sound of water entering the gaps. Still yourself 
and you will feel it rising up within you, filling every emptiness, springing forth anew.